I like how uh, we were leaving JPJ last night. I started singing uh, Hamilton, and and then I did it again, and you were like, "Please, please don't." It must be nice. <laughs> well, well played. Um, so yeah, no Dave tonight, huh? Yeah, I guess he's got something better to do. I guess he um really happening thirteen year old's birthday party to go to. Mm-hmm. Must be. Must be nice. CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin State's in the West End of Richmond, where it is, let's see, Wednesday, January the 11th. Cavaliers coming off of a you know, pretty interesting uh, victory over North Carolina last night, 65-58. Uh, Cavaliers were up, led by as, uh, I think they led by, you know, like 10 or so in early, fell down behind by as much as like nine. Um, later in the first half, came back, nice 17-2 to two run, um, kind of held Carolina at arm's length um, from then on and um, got away with a win. Carolina obviously didn't have Armando Baycott. Um, listen, I'm not going to shortchange anything I saw last night because of that, but, I mean, it's it's worth mentioning, right? But at the same time, um, you know, I, I thought Carolina had enough talent on the floor to win the game, and, and the Tar Heels did not do that. As Huber Davis was so eloquently um, um, reminding us over and over and over again in the postgame, um, just basically that they lost, um, which we'll get into a little bit of that. Uh, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. For tonight, everybody is Editor-in-Chief Justin Ferber in Charlottesville. How are you, my friend? Pretty good. Uh, you know, last show ever for me on the CavsCorner.com podcast, I've uh, got a big announcement. I've decided to accept, uh, before Brad could, the offensive line coach position at UVA. <laughs> um, it's kind of like a squatter's right situation at this point. Like, you know, if the job's open for a certain amount of time, I think anybody can just claim the office and the salary. So excited to get started. Um, you know, I'll work on a hashtag and everything, but, um, yeah, just <laughs> ready to hit the ground running and get this team <laughs> headed in the right direction. And I'm at Justin underscore Ferber on, and I'm at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. At- wow, man, that was, uh, that was fun. Uh, Cavs corner also on Twitter Cavs underscore corner. Great place for the in game updates, the content items and the occasional Woody banter. Um, man, that was really good. I, I honestly didn't know where you were going at first. Honestly, yeah. Um, I, was I mean, like, I don't think I'll be able to keep the podcast duties if I'm also doing offensive line coach. I stuff. mean, one would think but, you would be pretty busy. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, you, you, you guys know. will get all the scoops though. <laughs> oh well, there's probably somebody out there that's like, maybe he's being serious right now. Like, I mean, listen, ser- dude, if it, it, it's the internet, <laughs> it must be true. Um, all right, so let's let's get back to the what well, maybe we'll touch on that uh aforementioned search for a offensive line coach later. Um sixty five fifty eight Ferber. Uh you're you had a nice uh little not I guess you can't really call it a takeaways because it weren't necessarily takeaways. It was more like uh 
you kind of you kind of de- dove deep a little bit into it, which I actually really enjoyed. Um, as you sit here tonight, um, it, it, I don't want to I don't want to go like su- super hyperbolic here, um, though that is my custom, um, and try to like draw but so much from this but I do think it's it's worth talking about because this is the first time we've seen that smaller lineup like really work for them and it did kind of shine a little bit of a light on oh okay so potentially like that is a thing that they can do I'm not sure it's a thing that they can really draw um, a whole lot of um, um, you, you know first blood so to speak right with I, I don't think it's something they're gonna they're gonna make a whole lot of hay uh, went by running simply because I think matchups I mean, you know, matchups make fights, right? And um, this was one that really favored UVA when when Carolina went small. Um, as soon as Hubert Davis could, basically, he got out of that. Um, but I thought Virginia still attacked pretty well off of it. Um, did you see anything last night that really changed your sort of overarching opinion of kind of where the team is? Um, and please explain your answer. No, not at all. Um, this is who they are. I mean, like, this is part of the experience, right? It's not all the bad moments, but like, you know, when, you know, those podcasts after the pit game, after the Miami game where we said like, Hey, you know, it kind of seems like this might just be who they are. They're just kind of inconsistent, like individually and then collectively because of that game to game. And, you know, I, I, but I think like, you know, I said it after the game, like this is what the team can be like, you know, if, especially they get 28 points off the bench from BVP and McNeely if you're getting that kind of effort, like you're going to be in any game, regardless of what you're getting from the starting lineup. So, I mean, I think like when those guys in particular are hitting just because of the amount of difference, like good three point shooting or even like average three point shooting can have on this team. I think like it really raises the ceiling for that game. The the key is going to be like, can they do that night in night out and deliver? Um, And if not them, who, you know, um, Armand Franklin, I think he had a perfect example of like what you want his night to look like when he's not hitting shots. He still finished with 12 points. He made some plays at the rim, got to the free throw line. He made most of them. Um, you know, like uh, yeah, he made an impact on the defensive end. He had two blocks. Like if he's not going to shoot the lights out, that's what you want from him. And then you have guys like Gardner and Shedrick who barely played, especially in the second half. And, you know, like, <laughs> their sacrifice in minutes kind of paid off because the guys that played in their stead scored a bunch of points. So, um, yeah, I mean, I thought on both ends of the floor, they did a nice job. I thought Tony made some good adjustments and and really kind of took advantage of Carolina's not, you know, like, you know, not being at full strength in the front court because Nance was out too, obviously. Um, so when Carolina went small early in the game, when Baycott went out, um, UVA went on that, like they went up like 10 to three or whatever it was. And then Carolina made some adjustments and then eventually UVA kind of caught them in that small lineup for a little bit in the second half. And that's when they started going on the run and took the lead. So, um, getting to the basket, you know, and, and finding ways to score when the threes weren't dropping and then finally getting those threes to drop. Like that's what this team can be. Um, unfortunately, like to this point in the season, and we're almost halfway done at this point, like we haven't seen this team, like demonstrate this over the course of like four games in a row or something like that. I mean, maybe that's, maybe we're in the middle of that right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, encouraging win, good win for the team. Um, Carolina is a good team, even shorthanded, but yeah, you know, I mean, uh, encouraging, but you know, obviously like we'll see what happens on Saturday. Right. Yeah. 
Um, I want to drill into a couple things. Because the one thing you said that I was really, I, you know, when I was asking the question, the thing I was thinking of most was seeing Armand Franklin really impacting the game um, when he wasn't necessarily just hitting threes, right? So in this game, he's 0 for 5 from 3, all right? Now, to put that in some context, most of the time in, in this season when Armand has not hit three balls, he just has not been that big of a factor. 12 points, 9 boards, 2 assists, um, played 36 minutes. Um, I, I just thought this was a, an excellent game for him on both ends of the floor. Um, he played with a toughness in this game that I'm not going to say I haven't seen this season, but I haven't seen a lot of this season. I think he really, like, I'm not sure, like, this is definitely one of those, dude, what got into so-and-so sort of games, right? I was really impressed with how physical he was, with how determined he was, with how, um, you know, he just, he, he seemed like he was just not going to lose. He didn't seem um, by any stretch uh, impacted by the fact that he couldn't, that he wasn't, you know, he couldn't find his, 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 uh, his groove from long range. And like I said, that has just not been what we've seen of him to this point in the season. Um, and then last night I thought, you know, against, you know, one of the most talented teams Virginia is going to see this season, just from a raw talent standpoint. Right. I thought he had a really nice game and, um, you know, his, his ability to, to, to find ways to contribute on both ends of the floor, even when his, his three ball wasn't falling, I thought it was great. I also was really impressed with McNeely. Um, IMAC has, has, has been a kid, I think all season long that you, I think we've all sort of seen the flashes, right. And you, and you can't help but think of Kyle guy and you can't you know help but think of some of the shooters that Virginia's had over the years and think like, yeah, he could really get there he's already kind of doing more in his freshman season than some of the better shooters have done. Um, he, he, he certainly did not look like a kid last night who had the parking brake on as Tony talked about, um, after the Syracuse win. Um, he but plays take, with a lot of poise. Like, he does. He, you know, and he, he, he looks very comfortable and, regardless and his, of whether shots are going in or not. And they just happen to be agreed. And his, and his mechanics don't seem to waver shot to shot to shot. That was one thing about Joe Harris. that always blew me away. If you you could take a like a video or whatever of Joe Harris taking a shot and you wouldn't know what the score was, you wouldn't know what quarter it was, or excuse me, what half it was, you wouldn't know like where that was in the season. Like every shot basically looked like itself, right? Except for every once in a while we did that weird thing where you try to pass out of a shot, which I always, you know, was like the bane of my personal existence. Um But, you know, IMAC is is so consistent and he 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 gets that thing out real quick. Um now that he's sort of taken that step towards being more decisive with it, not being afraid to pull the trigger, even if it's early in the clock, um, you know, I thought, you know, for him to make the contributions he made in the second half, when at halftime we weren't sure he was going to play the rest of the night, right? After he takes that shot to the face, um, that I, I just thought it was an extremely gutsy performance, specifically from him, but also for overall for the team. And look, let's let's just talk. Let's just zero in on the Vanderplas of it all, right? 17 points, 6 for 10 from the floor, 3 of 7 from 3, 8 rebounds. Um, I, I wish mean, Dave was on here to tell, say how good he was. <laughs> I think, listen, let's... let's, let's Dave's guy. A, Dave's, Dave's guy. Uh, oh, I guess we should say, uh, if you didn't hear it in the intro, Dave, Dave uh, had a birthday in the, in the family tonight, and uh, he was otherwise uh, obligated um, at time of recording. Um, I, I do think that there's a chance he could just like pop in later. And if that happens, we'll just roll with it. 
Um, I mean, kind of like BVP in the second half. Hey, there you go. Look at that. There, there's a segue yeah. for you. Three I mean, at blocks. one point I looked up and was like, he has 15 points. Right. Like, yeah, it was, in the second yeah. half. Uh, three blocks, uh, two steals, 27 minutes. He's plus 12. The only one better than him was uh, Armand, who was plus 16. Listen, let's just let's just be real, okay? There have been times this season where BVP has been a kid who absolutely 100% seemed integral to this team, right? And then there has been a stretch of the season where his minutes, how many he was getting, his contributions therein, all kind of left you scratching your head, right? Well, the minutes were the same, but the production Right, wasn't. exactly. The fact that he was continuing to get minutes and was not doing much with it, okay? Against Houston, he was 0 of 7 from the floor, 0 of 6 from 3, played 17 minutes, he did not score, okay? Against Miami, all right, he, played, he did score 20 points in that game, right? 7 of 13 from the floor, 4 of 9 from 3, um, had four boards. And it was all okay. like at once, basically in the second half. It, exactly. Like, he, yeah, he just sort of just, just lit up. Okay. Against uh, Albany, he only scored three points, one of four from the floor. In uh, Atlanta, against Georgia Tech, he was one of three from the floor. Played twenty minutes, only scored three points. He did have six boards in that game, so I'll give him that. Against Pittsburgh, all right, he he scores two points. He's one of four from the floor, zero of three from three, and he plays twenty-two minutes. And then against Syracuse. He played. He scored six points. He played twenty five minutes. He's two of seven from the floor. Two of six from deep. To see him then be able to make the just not just the scoring or the shooting right, but to it was also like everything else. I I I just was really impressed. I think forever with like not just like that the fact that he's continued to grind right that he has not like lost the edge so to speak right for a lot of kids who I think when they when it's clear that coaches and teams expect something from them and they can't, they're not able to like get there, they can sort of lose the thread, right? On staying like connected to that, to the team. Like it can, it can clearly like get in their head for him to be able to have the night he had against the team. He had it against. I think that's a really good sign. Now to what degree it's a really good sign. Like, is this like a dramatic thing or is this just like, Oh, okay, cool. That's something to, to know. I'm not sure. But I mean, for him to have the night he had across the board says a lot to me about um, that the that the ceiling for this team it's still pretty it's it's a it's a good ways up there. It's not maybe as elite as maybe we thought it was when they're in Vegas or coming out back from Vegas. Um, and the concerns we've had about them, right? Like you mentioned earlier, right? They're scoring, you know, they certainly go in these uh, slumps. Uh, offense can get really stagnant real quick. Um, dudes are very inconsistent night to night to night. Um, I just think that in a game where Jaden Gardner only scores three points, right, and they got basically nothing from Caden Shedrick in the limited Kihei time he only played. Had like seven, I think. Kihei scores seven. He didn't hit a three. He only had two assists, which is you know low for him this season, obviously. Um, but for them to be able to play as well as they did, and then I mean, like, look, the last fifteen minutes they played the same lineup the whole time, basically, right? That that last substitution out. Um, yeah, Kafaro for McNeely with fifteen twelve. Ka- okay, one Kafaro. Say the, say, say the man's name right. I'm never going to get it right. I mean, he's got, what, like 15 <laughs> games left? Like, it's over. <laughs> uh, that horse is out of the barn. Um, But, I mean, for them to be as good as they were uh, late um, with the group that they had on the floor, the one other thing that I think, and I'm, I want to get your reaction to this, like, I don't think UVA is particularly deep. Because a lot of the, these guys have to sort of do even even on nights when they're not playing well, they still have to keep playing a lot, right? Um, 
the fact that Gardner only played 15 minutes this game and UVA still, you know, beat a pretty good team by seven um, tells me that maybe they've got a little bit more versatility than I thought. How much of, um, you know, what's ahead of them? Can they really sort of use the Syracuse and Carolina wins to sort of buoy themselves up against? For example, they're going to go to Florida State. They're going to get Virginia Tech. I mean, who knows if Hunter Couture will play in that game or not. Tech is clearly a very different team without him. But when you look at the schedule and what they've got coming up, it, it certainly feels like to me that what, what we saw from them in these two games, and especially last night, bodes well for, you know, sort of what's coming. You know, it's Florida State, it's Virginia Tech, it's Wake Forest, it's Boston College at home over the next, like, two weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, they have a chance to kind of, like, get going especially given tech's injury situation and all that um yeah you just look at the schedule like florida state uh, people get caught up in like why is this a must win and it's like if you're good you should win it like it's a should win like if you want to call it that um you know they should beat florida state um even though they almost didn't the first time um virginia tech at home like you got to feel pretty good about that right now wake forest on the road winnable um maybe not a cakewalk but winnable um boston college at home is a should win um syracuse on the road i mean syracuse is not terrible i don't think but like they're not great either um like they can win that game they they handled them at home at least for like the first 30 something minutes um but yeah i mean you kind of look at the rest of january and it's like man you could really go on a run um if they can if they can play the way that they've played the last two games pretty much i think they can beat all these teams but you know, we've kind of seen uh, there's been some lulls and here and there and, you know, weird situations where like guys that you expect to score X amount of points, just score like two. Um, and, and it'll happen. But I think, you know, if you look at the big picture, like the last two podcasts we've had have been after losses, right? Um, this one's after a win, you know, and a win before that. Um, and like, if you look at the big picture, I think, you know, your three losses are Houston, a really good Houston team. Um, and then, you know, your two road losses at Pitt, who's pretty good, it seems like, or at least competent. And then at Miami and both of those teams are near the top of the league. So, you know, if you start racking up some wins over these teams in the middle class of the league, it's easier for me to say like, Hey, maybe I was like overreacting to like some of these losses, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe they're not bad losses at all. Um, and you know, they just kind of like, didn't have good, I mean, like the Miami game, they, they played bad early. They kind of tried to shake it off and they didn't do enough pit. They played well early. Then they played bad in the second half. Maybe it's just, you know, like that's what basketball is and you're going to have moments like that. But ultimately, I mean, like they have the opportunity to go on a run. I think, you know, maybe this game gives them a little bit more confidence, um, that they can sort of play out because I think one of the most important things, um, that happened in this game for UVA is that they got down by nine. Um, and they were able to sh- sort of shake that off and do so in a, with enough time remaining to where they right. could actually like take a lead and win the game. Yeah. Um, I thought that I was really the big and, and the that way they finished the first half. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you made that point in, in your, um, in your piece this morning, like, you know, it wasn't just what they did in the second half. They had to do what they did in the first half to close that thing out. Yeah. If you go into halftime down nine, like you're, you're maybe not in a position to come back. Like, yeah. And then, and I think it, it's a confidence thing, right? It, it, you know, I know there are people out there who don't believe in momentum and whatnot. Um, I, I'm sorry, but momentum is a real thing. Um, but, it, it, you know, I was just looking at Kim Palm and I was thinking about 
like if you took the Houston game out and you just put insert name of random team here, right? Let's say UVA's 13 and 3 right now. They're still 4 and 2 in the ACC. Their only two losses were to Miami and to Pittsburgh, right? We probably wouldn't think as and I think there are a lot of folks who sort of observe UVA uh, basketball, almost said football, UVA basketball, who like, who think, who at least before these two games, after that pit loss, man, it felt like, yeah, this team is just not going to be that great. And I'm curious, like, why that is. And I'm I'm lumping myself in here because I think I was, you know, if you listen to the podcast last week, I mean, like, it, it it's very clear that for some reason, and I don't know if it's a function of UVA just having the seasons that the Cavaliers have had, right? to go, you know, 35 and three one year, um, the year after they were, you know, 31 and three, like you're just not used to them losing games. Right. Um, and you look back the last couple of seasons and they haven't been that great and they've lost, you know, a bunch of games and it, you know, hasn't felt right, you know? Um, but I, I wonder like if that was the case, if we would feel differently sort of about this team, because right now to your point, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, Boston College. Those are all games that Kim Palm gives Virginia a better 66% or better chance of winning, okay? Um, and even, you know, the Syracuse game in their dome is a 67, right? I mean, they could absolutely run off a bunch of wins here, and I, I don't think you can say they're going to separate themselves from the rest of the top teams in the league simply because we don't know, yeah. who, like, how that's going to sort out. But I don't even think they can because they already have two losses. So it's like right. best case scenario, you're like tied, even if you like run the table in January. Correct. Probably. So like right now, Pittsburgh, having just lost to Clemson this past weekend, right now as we record this, they're down six to Duke with five thirty left. So you know they go to Georgia Tech this weekend, then they get what Hubert Davis called a very talented Louisville team or whatever he yeah, said last I, week. I'm still shook by that. <laughs> we were, I wish people, could I didn't know who was I. next on their schedule and he was like a very talented and I thought, yeah, he we got to get ready like, and go. Yeah. Like Clemson yeah, exactly. or something. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Or Florida nope. state or somebody. Nope. Anybody, literally anybody, but Louisville, I would have been like, okay, like, you know, who Kim Palm nice. currently has at like, 277 <laughs> in the country for the record. But yeah, I mean like, you know, we don't know what that's going to look like. Um, you know, in a, in a week or two, um, you know, which is one of the, 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 the interesting pieces of the puzzle this year for the league, which is like, I still think that Virginia, Carolina and Duke are probably the three most talented teams. Um, I, I still, I'm still not sure what to make of Clemson. And I, after watching Pittsburgh, you know, lose to Duke here, I'm not really entirely sure what to make of them now that they've lost two in a row. The thing with Pitt to me is like, they they're gonna win games. I think they're gonna finish above five hundred in the league if I had to guess. But they're also I feel like they're still a team that can lose to like anybody. Yeah. Like well, and the same I feel the same way about Clemson. Like Clemson, mm-hmm. we we forget, but Clemson lost to South Carolina. All right, South Carolina. This this is not like you know this is not Don Staley South Carolina. Okay, this is the men's team. All right. And or Shane Beam or South Carolina for that oh, matter. That's a good Clemson, point. Yes. Clemson can't beat them either. Yeah. So they're 206 in Kimpom right now, right? Now, at least Iowa's top 40. That's great. They also lost to Loyola Chicago in December by like 20. Okay. So listen, I understand that they've won five games in a row, and that's great. Um, but man, um, yeah. So 
yeah it's like, like show me over time and, and again yeah. i think they they have like some pieces like brownell does this weird thing where like they'll be bad for like three years and then the fourth year it's like oh it's like when like he gets on the hot seat all, all these players are old and yeah. now they're good <laughs> yeah i will I think say they have some stuff they have some one of the players. things one of the things that has always struck me about clemson is and the reason why clemson has really had a problem trying to get over the hump when it comes to you know, getting wins against UVA is because they like Clemson tries to basically out UVA people. Yeah, right. They they play they play a lot of like gritty kind of like yeah. It's a it's a very similar sort of style. Physical basketball. You know, like, they they're really big on the defensive end. I mean, listen, the Hall kid and Hunter Tyson are obviously having really nice seasons. Um, but I mean, I just I don't know. I'm gonna have to see Clemson and Pittsburgh do it consistently over a couple weeks uh, between now and the end of the month to really and like because here's the thing. Uh, they play Louisville tonight. Then they got Duke at home. On, Clemson does on Saturday. They got to go to Wake, and then they get Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, and then Florida State and Boston College. I think their they schedule's don't get, pretty pretty easy. <laughs> like, yeah, other than Duke uh, on Saturday, they don't get a good team really until February the fourth when they get to host Miami. Um. Yeah, I, I they, not saying they're going to win all those games, but like right. you can look at their schedule. It's like they still have two more with Boston College. They still have two more with Louisville. Right. You know, they go to yeah. UVA once. Right. It's like they don't, you know, I think they only play like Duke once. Like, yeah, they get Duke once. They get Virginia once. I mean, that schedule is just begging for them to make a regular season run. Right. Mm-hmm. It is begging. Um, at, you know, and that's the thing, you know, about the league overall. Right. And I understand for a lot of Virginia fans, like the two losses early really leave a bad taste in your mouth. But right now, Virginia's top 25 in both uh, offensive and defensive adjusted efficiency, right? Um, they're the only team in the league right now to, to do that. Um, now, I know that that's not the end-all, be-all. Um, you still got to go out there and, and do the thing, right? But Virginia also held one of the nation's better offenses to 58 points last night. And this is not, I don't think anybody would argue with me, an elite Virginia defense, right? Um, I mean, Carolina is very talented. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying that this is going to be the way it's going to be for the rest of the ACC season. Um, but it certainly feels like Virginia has a much better chance of being pretty good than maybe a lot of us gave them credit for um, after Tuesday night's loss to Pittsburgh. Um, again, that offense struggles at times, you know, I have been uh, pretty vocal in the pod or on Twitter or whatever about like the inconsistency and the fact that you can't, you're really not sure what you can count on night to night to night. Um, but what I, I, I do find interesting is that when you have several dudes who can kind of do some different things, there is, you have to leave at least some, op- some chance open that they can sort of get it pointed in the same direction at the same time, right? Maybe Virginia is not the eight and no team that you know, the, the elite kind of team we thought the Cavaliers could be, but they're also maybe not like an also ran in the way that some folks. Yeah. And nah. might be. I and think I, they're, I, they're like an upper tier team. It's just, I don't know that they're going to be. And also like, you know, it's, it's not just comparing them against their like the ACC. It's like, how, what are they against the bar, which, and for UVA basketball, like the bar is sort of like the good UVA teams, you know, like I think right. we thought of comparing them to those. And I, honestly, against like the bar, if the bar is like the 2018, 2019 teams, like they're not that. So, um, and, and I think you can tell that like, if you just look at efficiency, like, like they're, they're winning, they've won 12 games, but like, if you look at it, it's like, they barely beat JMU, they barely beat Florida state. Um, you know, they, they barely beat Michigan. Who's like fine. Um, I think Michigan is better than what they've put on 
you know, on the court, but um, you know, it's like the Syracuse game, they had it, then it kind of slipped. Um, so, I mean, I, I think like they can, they can take it to another level, but they're not, they're just certainly not like bad. Um, they're, I think they're going to settle into like a top four. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be one. If you ask me right now, I'd probably bet against that. Um, but yeah, I think they'll be fine. And, and ultimately, I mean, like, do you really care if you finish like third, if you win the ACC tournament or whatever, like who cares? Yeah. I think too, the, the piece of the puzzle that is really compelling is listen, one of the things about this ACC season might just be that you, you got to outlast folks, right? You really do have to just be standing. Um, and there's probably not a better team in the league, better suited for that. Um, you know, being able to sort of, you know, make their own luck. Um, again, Virginia is absolutely, um, prone to these offensive struggles and these droughts and the defense can at times sort of, you know, step out on them a little bit. They can sort of not be as physical as they need to be and whatnot. But I, I do think that the more that we see them sort of do the things that we have said they can't do, the more we have to, be, we have to at least believe that there's a chance they can do them more often. And again, I'm not trying to make last night into like a, um, a referendum on them or anything. And I'm not trying to say like, Oh, this is obvious evidence that they're going to win the national championship. All I'm saying is that like, we saw something that was a little different last night and that's a very good thing um, for them as they go forward. Uh, we obviously won't podcast between now um, and the uh, Florida state game on Saturday. They get Virginia tech on Wednesday. We probably will hold the podcast maybe until Thursday to get that game in. Um, maybe we'll do Tuesday and preview it. Um, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Um, but overall, I, I just think that like, as we look at this team, um, you know, I think he, Clark has been essential to what they, they do. I think Franklin being able to mix it up a little bit in terms of his, um, you know, his, his, his ability to sort of impact the game is great. The one thing we have not talked about Ferber that I think was, was clearly evident last night was Reese Beekman is if he's not back to hundred percent, which he said, he's not quite all the way there yet. He's getting close. He's getting um, close. And he is a very different player. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Like when you're not hurt, you're actually much better off. Like when he's, when he's able to sort of really explode off that leg. I mean, he was, he, there were times last night where he, he was kind of getting back to that same gear that we were, were accustomed to seeing him in. And man, Virginia was, was definitely game for the fight. Um, when he was, um, when he was playing that way, what did you think of his overall game? And what does that tell you sort of about where he is and his, uh, return to form so to speak yeah i mean i thought he made a really nice impact early um you know and and those points count too you know it's he picks off a couple passes he has that layup in transition he has the steal before half where he dumps it off to kihei for the layup that was a huge play the dunk at the end was a huge play um i don't have his numbers in front of me i think he got to line a few times like you know ultimately just a really solid performance for him and like what you expect him to to be doing on the defensive end kind of forcing a few turnovers here and there that was sort of when he was at his best last year and i don't think he hit any outside shots or anything but like you know he still impacted the game quite a bit um and ultimately like you know you're right i mean he, maybe he's not 100% but he's he's good enough to where you're getting the respeakment that we recognize i think you know and and that's good i mean ultimately that's going to get the team ceiling to where it needs to be on the defensive end. And um, 
I think like they made a lot of plays on the offensive end last night, but uh, an underrated defensive performance, especially after like, you know, I thought they had a really good first, what, 10 minutes or so. And then it kind of faded and then they picked it up after like, you know, and then kind of a rough beginning of the second half. And then they, they kind of clamped down. I think they gave up like 29 points or something in the second half, but like um, ultimately like they, they made the stops when they needed to, they got a couple steals at the end Um and Reese is, you know, kind of the driver of a lot of that stuff. So, I mean, it was good to see him kind of like look. That was the closest he's looked to like the real Reese Beekman, and, and since he got hurt, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's like I I made I made a joke of it a few minutes ago, right? The idea that like, hey, look, you know, when you're not when you're not hurt, you're better off. When Reese, Be- I mean, this again, spoiler alert. When Reese Beekman's not hurt, Virginia's better off. Um, I thought defensively, their ability to scramble was much, you know, much clearer last night, and. You know, there were a couple of times that Carolina, you know, was able to move the ball and really get a shot that that the Heels wanted. But I think overall, one of the things that really stood out to me was I thought Virginia did a great job on the scramble and was able to get two people. Um, and I think a lot of that is because Reese is better off. Now, I'm not sure how often Virginia can go to the lineup that, you know, they really like leaned on last night. Um, you know, a lot of that that inside triangle, you know, offense was great. Um, and they got a lot of, you know, took much to Hubert's uh, chagrin. A lot of straight line drives at the basket, which, I mean, I can't remember a Virginia game where Virginia got that many, like, just straight dudes driving to the lane in traffic. Um, I, I would love to see them sort of try to do that more often. I'm just not entirely sure that that can be a constant for them. Overall, though, I think the fact that they were able to generate offense without having to rely so heavily on the three-point shot. In this game, Virginia's only 32% from deep. Um, they're six for 19 um, they made only, some big shots. Like it but seems it, like that's shot exactly where I was going yes. because they were big three. because they were, they, they hit the shots they needed to Vanderplas and Nick Neely both, um, really came through in big moments. Um, and they underrated were, moment in the game, I think was BVP hit a three late in the first half. Yeah. Um, and when they were down like nine or whatever, and it got, it was like, all right, they needed that one bad, you know, and they got yeah. it. It's like, gets yeah. them back to within four or whatever it was. And then he missed the one at the buzzer, but he kind of like came out in the second half swinging. But yeah, I mean, big shots. But um, I yeah, think was, like I, the driving to the basket thing kind of started when Tony called the timeout with like four mm, minutes left in the first half. Yeah. Because you remember like the rest of the half, the way, the way they kind of chipped it away was at the free throw line because they just kept getting fouled. And I think a lot of those were at the rim. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was good to see them be able to do that. And that's what like, you know, even the, the best UVA teams like they could shoot you know, they got points at the rim all the time. Yeah. And I think too, to, to your point there, it was minute 32 to go in the first half when McNeely bangs that three cuts it to 27, 23. Um, I mean, that's a big reason why they were able to, you know, to get there that, you know, Shedrick had the dunk. Kihei had that layup. Um, and I mean, in the last minute and a half, they scored um, what seven points in a, half when they only scored 27 and they, and they, and they got a last second possession that they didn't score on which exactly yeah scored. bbp missed that three um i think too like again there's a confidence that comes with having to come through in those moments you like i think you can almost like physically see i'm at growing up before our eyes um bvp having those moments armand being able to really turn it on elsewhere beyond just his three-point shot beekman getting back to form i think there's a lot to be excited about from this game this is the the nature of things right which is like something good happens and you want to you know you want to make a uh, a mountain out of it um 
these podcasts are very, very influenced by like the last thing we yeah, saw. Yeah, like, yeah, there's some serious recency bias. The last here, two right? podcasts were like, it is what it is. They're they're okay. <laughs> they lost these games. <laughs> and now we're like, ah, maybe this team, you know, turn in the corner. But that's one of the, the things about that's one of the things about evaluating something as it happens, right? Mm-hmm. Because we don't have the the luxury of being able to, you know, pull up Ken Palm and see, you know, where they are when they're playing Louisville on February 15th, right? Um, all we can do is say like, hey, here's where they are on January the 11th. Um, we don't know what the next eight games are going to be like. Um, and so I think, you know, you're kind of captured in the moment. But that's that's sort of like a that's kind of like the um, the temperature check, right? Um, bathe me in the infrared light of your temperature temperature gun, right? Um, but no, I I I I hear what you're saying though. I mean, it's a good point, and it's and it's and it's uh, and it's good. Uh, it's a good frame to try to to try to um, sort of f- view this entire conversation through, which is like, yes, we're having this conversation less than 24 hours. I mean, God, the game would have literally just tipped off like, oh, gosh, nine o'clock tips ugh, for the birds. Um, we're having this conversation less than 24 hours after the game. So it, it makes sense that, you know, we would be, you know, probably too. And they also beat Syracuse, you know, so I think that's, that's worth true. shouting out as well. Yeah, like, I mean, that's true. Two and I mean, they were eight. No, they lost three of the next five. Uh, and now they've won four of their last uh, five. So in a way. Um, you know, they get a win in, in, in Tallahassee on Saturday afternoon or Saturday, I guess, evening, technically. And you know what? Virginia Tech doesn't look like the same team that we thought they'd have. And Wake Forest is sort of up and down and Boston College is Boston College. And then they get to go back to Syracuse. You know, they come back for that second game against Tech on February the 4th when they go to Blacksburg. I mean, you know, we could be talking about a very different team. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's just interesting. Um, for those of you who are, um, I don't know, this doesn't make any sense because you're going to listen to this tomorrow. But anyway, Duke is about to polish off a win against Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh is going to fall to four and two in the league. Duke's going to move to four and two in the league. Um, UVA it was weird. They had this like huge log jam at three and two last week. And now it's like everybody's four and two. <laughs> yep. And I mean, and like this is basically what we're going to get for like the next, you know, month and a half, which is essentially like. Everybody just beat the crap out of everybody else. Um, you know. Yeah, I really think like the like the four seed. I mean, like the one seed, I think will still get to the customary like 15, 16 wins. That's just how it goes. Um, I think Miami's a team we might not be talking about enough, like in that conversation, because I think they actually have like the talent to be good all year. Um, but I, like I think like the four seed is gonna be like could be like a twelve and eight type team, eleven and nine. You know, I think it could be that much parity after like the first like three or four teams. Yeah, I mean, and listen, let's let, let we'll we'll finish off this little basketball section with a conversation about sort of Miami because they you're right they're the they're the one ACC team um, that seems to be you know better maybe than advertised that we haven't and they're kind of like taking care of their business like they're yeah. not like if you look at what they've done I mean they had that one weird like Georgia Tech loss um, yeah. And and that's the thing I will say this is part of the conversation about UVA is like, you know, we talk we talk about UVA on this podcast and how UVA, like I just said, they're not really blowing people out and you know like all that stuff. But like everybody, it seems like is kind of in the big middle right now. <laughs> but the big middle, I mean, yeah. But I mean, like Miami, like they beat UVA at home. They they beat Notre Dame by eleven on the road. They handled Louisville. They lost to Georgia Tech and then they beat my uh, Boston College tonight by sixteen. So it's like you know I feel like they're 
And and if you look at their roster, I mean, we know like they have Wong, like um, Miller, Nigel Pack, uh, Walker's a decent piece. Like um, the guy they got from Arkansas State, uh, I, I can't remember his Joseph Omir. Oh no, Omir. Yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty good. Um, I mean, I think that they just have like, and they, you know, they they do the same thing Clemson does, where it's like they'll be like not very good for like three or four years, and then they just you know pull it <laughs> like they're randomly yeah, like right. really good. Yeah. One year. Yeah. Um, What's funny last year, but still. Yeah. What's funny about Miami is, is that, you know, had, had, had they not lost to Georgia tech last week, um, we'd be, we'd be like, Oh, they're going to win the league. Oh, they're going to win the league. You know, exactly. That recency bias would have taken over. Um, And they'd be like six and oh, or whatever. You'd be like, all right. Yeah. They bounce back. They, 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 they do what they're supposed to do against Boston college at home. Now they're five and one league, 14 and two overall. They get NC State this weekend. They go to, uh, excuse me, they host Syracuse on Monday night, and then they go to Duke the following Saturday. Um, That'll be a good game. You know, that, so, I mean, we'll find out. I feel like we'll find out a little bit because, look, I, I think NC State is not a great team, but NC State can can put you in some tight spots. Um, if, you know, if they're, if you're, if you're not good enough to like get them out of what they want to do. Um, obviously, Syracuse is, I mean, Syracuse is Syracuse, right? They're up and down. You never know what you're going to get from them night to night to night. Um, and then Duke is now coming off this Pittsburgh win. Um, you know, so maybe John Shires figured it out. I, I just think that the fact that, like, Miami is sitting at 5-1 at and one right now, and I don't want to say nobody's talking about them, but, like, very f- – like that, not a lot of folks are talking I think about Pitt them. and Clemson just got a lot of attention. Exactly says like, a lot Miami's about what Pitt and Clemson did. Yep, at, like it's because like Miami said, had a loss and they did. Yep, like, handling their business, just kind of handling their business. Um, Speaking but, of handling their business, the very talented Louisville team's up five right now against Clemson in the first half. So wow, wouldn't that out. be something? And, and Huber Davis would. You know what? If I got to eat crow on that, Huber Davis, I, I will. I know you listen to the pod. All right, real quick before we wrap up, Ferber made a joke in the uh, intro, which I think I'm using as the intro uh, about how he's. Oh, no, it was in his in, actual intro. Sorry, I got sort of uh, momentary lack lack of reason there um, about the offensive line job. It is January the 11th. Virginia does not have an offensive line coach. Lost the Parker kid. I mean, almost exclusively because they don't have an offensive line coach. Um, I mean, I don't think that there's any way to sort of square the circle with anything other than this is bad news. I mean, this is just not good. Um, not just because they lost the Parker kid or because there are other transfers who they've potentially lost because, you know, they don't have an offensive line coach. Um, I think it seems pretty apparent that they had somebody they were waiting on and then that somebody went somewhere else or decided to do something different. And so now they're sort of at the convention trying to put it together. Um, Ferber, give me some, give me some thoughts other than the fact that you would take the job. Um, I know Griff said he'd take the job. I told you last night I'd take the job. Um, everybody would take the job if offered. Um, none of us would help, but we would, <laughs> we would I take mean, we're the, moving closer to the, to the top of the board. I feel like with every day, I, I mean, every day. Yeah, that's true. Every day we get closer. Give me some, uh, give me some thoughts. Yeah. I mean, ultimately like these things can take time. I mean, you look around the country, like there are jobs that are being filled every day. Um, the problem, here's the problem I think is that you have, um, your offensive line coach, who is one of very few holdovers, who has like some existing relationships with guys on the trail before this staff got hired, 
um, especially around Virginia and so on and so forth. You have um, a group of offensive linemen that like, and I think, I don't think I'm really like stretching things here to say like in this particular program anyway, like a lot of these offensive linemen were coming to play for him, like, you know, first and not necessarily like the head coach. Um, nothing, not that they have something against the head coach, but like, you know, there just seems to be like a tightness between like 2J and his recruits. And I think that's probably the case at a lot of schools. Do you disagree with that? No, I think that's fair. I think, that's yeah, I fair. think that's, I mean, I'm not saying like they can't play for anybody, but like, um, I think that's the case anyway. So you have all that going on. So he leaves. Um, not only do you have to kind of like go out and find a guy, you have to find like probably the most important guy on your staff. Um, like, I mean, outside of coordinators, um, just because like your offensive line was in a bad place last year. Um, you didn't, you haven't, you had a, a transfer that you were bringing in and probably, you know, like a surefire starter. Um, then he, now he's out. So like, that's bad in itself. Like you're, you're kind of like leaving it in limbo so long that you, the guy that you, you had is not, you know, sticking. And then also it probably makes it harder to go out and get another guy because they're like, okay, cool. Well, like who's going to be the position coach. Um, so that's bad, but also this is like the most important position coach right now because, the offensive line needs a lot of work. They have a lot of young guys that haven't really played. A lot of them were projects coming out of high school, if we're being honest. Um, not to say they won't be good, but like, you know, like they're not, they didn't have a bunch of Morgan Moseses coming in in that class. Um, so you have that. And then also you have to go out and get guys now. So like, that's why it's like the most important, you know, position right now. Like if UVA's quarterbacks coach left and the quarterback position didn't change, like it's like, all right, you can go out and take your time, like get your guy. Um, as long as all your guys are solid, but like the offensive line right now really needs like a lot of help. And I think like without a position coach, it's sort of like a rudderless ship. And with every day you get closer to the transfer portal closing or like guys figuring out where they want to go and UVA is not the pick your limit, your options start to become more and more limited. And ultimately it does change the trajectory for what your offensive line might look like in the fall, like in a meaningful way. Um, and, and I think right now it's like you want to get the higher correct, but it's also like, um, you know, uh, sometimes like more is lost by, you know, indecision than wrong decision. <laughs> um, and I think like that's kind of we're trending in that territory, I feel like. Um, and this is kind of what it was like last year, too. I mean, it took Tony a while to get some of his guys in. And ultimately, mm -hmm. like a lot of those guys fit the guys that he wanted to hire, like immediately, like they got on board quick, the Gaither and Ga and downing, I think. And those guys that he announced kind of earlier on Slade. And then it took a little while to get Rudds and Cox and those guys in, but ultimately like time is of the essence right now with this particular position more so than like the average position that you have to fill. Yeah. I'm going to do a thing you're not supposed to do when you're recording live radio or live audio. And I'm going to say a thing without knowing the name, but, the situation, remember last year when they were trying to find the defensive coordinator and there and the whole thing was like, oh, it's going to be this guy whose name I cannot remember. Brad Lambert. Thank you. And the guy that went to Wake. I'm assuming correct. there were a few guys along correct. the way. It was supposed yep. to be him. Uh, it was, And he was bringing one of his assistants with him. And mm -hmm. then he ended up at Wake. And there was a connection with his family and one of his kids because there was an illness in Wake. It, the, there was some, he coached at Wake for a long time, too. Right, exactly. So he was going to go to Wake and such and such, such. Okay, cool. And I think a lot of us were a little concerned because, like, oh, you know, this is tough. You've lost, you know, this was clearly your, your guy, the guy you wanted and you lost him um, to another conference school. How'd John Rosinski work out? 
right? It did work out great. And and that's and, the thing too, is like, that was public. Not like the Brad Lambert situation was made public. Right. So it was and like, I think we, that's knew, the, we knew that it fell through. We knew because exactly. Like, you know, and I think that's one of the things that, that is really hard right now, which is we don't know what the, what the rest of the story looks like. I'm not saying, and I think that the, the situations are just markedly different. I'm not saying that they're going to bring in an offensive line coach who is just going to like do what Rosinski did last year for the defense. Okay. I'm, I'm not saying that because their issues are much bigger than just who is, you know, who's doing the, the, the X's and O's right. One, it's way more about who's doing the recruiting and who's doing the X's and O's. And two, they don't have the talent, the depth to really, I mean, what Rosinski walked into, if we're going to be, if we're just going to be completely honest, was a situation that should have been much better before he even got there. The fact that it ever got as bad as it got says a lot more about the people who were in charge than the people who were doing the playing on the field. Okay. And I don't think we're going to look back a year from now and be like, man, what was 2J doing? Like, he should have yeah. been playing, you know, Blake Steen or whatever. <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, also, it's the first time he's had to be coaching in a system that wasn't a nice in probably exactly. like, what, a decade. Yeah. You know? Right. So, I, you know, I, and I, I'm not, I, my point here is not to like, you know, like scapegoating or anything. I'm just saying, like, um, this could have continued to be the case had he not left. And, mm -hmm. you know, the reasons for coaches to leave one situation and go to another, there is always, they're always multifaceted, right? Sometimes, sometimes it can be simple, you know, it's, it's the money or it's the security or whatever here. It definitely feels like going to be in that system, um, getting the, the raise that he, he presumably got, um, you know, that, that all made sense. I also think that like, realistically it, it's it, put it to you like this. If he looked at last year and was like, hey, these guys are not necessarily like this is not the situation um, that's best for me. Right. I'm I mean, like I, that's, that's just the way jobs work, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah. in terms of what we saw on the field, it wasn't a whole lot to be encouraged about. Right. Not only had the previous year had all of your experience due to had eligibility remaining left. Right. But then, too, like it there were stretches of the season where like Noah Josie wasn't even playing. And I understand that like, we don't see practice and blah, 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 blah. But I mean, like it didn't take a rocket science to figure out like a couple of these dudes who were not playing were probably their more talented dudes. So now they got, you know, Logan Taylor's off to, um, Boston college. John Paul Flores is off to Louisville. Um, you know, I, I think they're in a position now. Yeah, exactly. They're they're in a position now where they're probably not going to be able to, you know, I mean classes are obviously getting ready to start. So they're they're already they've missed the boat on in terms of getting, you know, transfer offensive linemen to come in and be a part of spring ball. Um I stand corrected by the way. I believe Leach gave up football, but same thing. I, I don't say either. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, he's he's no longer with the program. And then you're only bringing in one in this class, which is like, you know, fine because they added like six last class. But those guys like it, I said they were all added late mostly not to say that like Mikhail Bowley did come in and play. Um, but like most of those guys were brought in because they needed bodies and it's like, we need to get a lot of depth and like, we know a lot of these guys aren't going to be ready to go right away, but like we're going to work on them and they'll get there. Um, the place right now where you're really, but that doesn't help you in 2023 for, for sure. The place yeah. that right now that you're really hoping is like the ACE in the hole is Smotherman, right? Is mm -hmm. does he know can what he he's them? doing? Can getting these yeah. dudes physically ready? Because if the guys who are physically ready, if the guys who are there are physically ready, at least then that sort of helps you. Because I think people, you know, probably folks who listen to this podcast, they are they are folks who understand this. But like, 
your offensive line stuff is not just about like what you do on game days, right? It's also practice. Like your your limitations in terms of your offensive line depth really change the way that you can practice the game, right? And so if you don't have depth enough to really be able to put dudes on the practice field and actually be able to practice, it hurts your ability to prepare yourself. And so I think that it, it, it would be imperative for UVA to get this thing done as quickly as possible. I mean, not just because they're hiring me or Ferber or Griff, right? I mean, I'm talking like a real actual coach, right? To get that thing done, have that that piece in the uh, in place because you do need to hurry up. Because, I mean, real talk, like the 2024 cycle is already underway, right? Mm-hmm. Like those relations, like junior days are coming. Kids are coming, you know, to Charlottesville soon, right? So like... It's not just like, hey, you got to get these dudes in, in the portal. I mean, like the the next cycle is beginning. And so I understand that like while there are no, you know, when you don't have an assist for folks who maybe aren't aware, when they when they have a situation like this where you have an opening, Tony's allowed to have one of his other staffers, his non full time assistant coaches go on um, the road recruiting, for example, right now, they're not in that period right now, but I'm just, you know, whatever. So like, there are other people who can fill that gap, but you need the person who's actually going to fill that gap to fill the gap. And, you know, that's kind of the, the, I mean, that's just a really tough spot to be in, to be, to be this deep into January, you know, the coaching convention is, is happening and over and, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, Thursday's right around the corner, right? And there's still no resolution to it. Um, I, I think it's just, it, whatever happens there, you're going to have to wait and see it play out. Because like I said, the Lambert situation, I would not have thought then that Virginia was going to be able to be in a spot, you know, um, where we thought like, hey man, John Rosinski, like he changed the entire trajectory of the defense in like one year, he and his, his staff. I mean, maybe that whoever, whoever ultimately is hired, you know, you got to let them come in, work with the kids, see what happens. But, man, it really does feel like it's really putting them behind the eight ball and making a really difficult transition, not just at that spot, but also kind of in the offense in general. Because real talk, like, it does feel like they're replacing everything, right? No Brennan Armstrong, right? Obviously, they lost Dontavian Wicks. Um, Lavelle Davis is obviously no longer with us. Billy Kemp is off to Nebraska. You've got guys you, all over the place, Right, you have lots of questions that you have to answer. You know, dudes that have to step up. Um, I mean, Malachi can't do everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, you know, they're going to have to figure out a lot on the offensive side of the ball. And if it certainly feels like this is, you know, just kind of salt in the wound, right? Which is like a lot of folks were really worried about this anyway, and now this thing continues to linger. Um, and they better they better clean it up. Other things, otherwise, it's, they, the thing's going to get infected, and that ain't good. The thing I will say, like, you hope that it's not a huge problem because you don't want a ton of staff turnover anyway. But like, and again, this isn't. I don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes, but just my like my theory on this from what I saw last year and now, it seems like one of the issues that they might be having is that. Tony has been so we kind of talked about this last year. He's been so like kind of isolated at Clemson that he might not have like the Rolodex of coaches that like other guys have um, like the connections. So, and and again, you can work around that. Like Rudd's, there was really no connection there. I don't think he went out and interviewed him and hired him. So it doesn't mean you can't do it, 
But I think like a lot of the times, like coaches, oh, they have a short list of coaches. It's like, okay, well, if you had a short list of coaches, like, you know, after a month, I'm pretty sure that like you didn't get any of them to take the job. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, um, you, you went to like a, a new list or whatever, way down the <laughs> list, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. and, and you can still go out and get a good coach. A lot of, and there's, that's the thing is people are like, who are they going to get? And it's like, there are, I mean, like, it doesn't mean that Tony Elliott's going to hire this person, but like, there are coaches out there that can do this job. Like, um, think about all the coaches that got like head coaches that got fired this year, like at the power five level. They all have offensive line coaches and they're not all bad, right? Like those dudes are all unemployed. <laughs> like you can probably get one of them. Um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of coaches at like a group of five schools in the Mac or like, you know, at the FCS level that are making 150K. <laughs> They'd probably love to be making 350K um and coaching at, you know, the ACC level. So I mean, I don't think it's like nobody wants the job necessarily. I think maybe it's like they're they're trying to get one guy, they're striking out, and then it's like they're having to kind of reset. Yeah, um, there's I'm a, sure that, a lot of that. Yeah, and I don't think we're you know we're like breaking any news to Coach Elliott and his staff. Like they understand how important it is to get this done. Like they're they're looking at that empty office and they're like, all right, we got to get someone in there. Um, but you know, it's been a month. Like you know, at this point, it's like it's time to get it going. And yeah, ultimately, at this point, like you know. <laughs> For like the transfer portal anyway, it might not really matter if you get it done in the next week or so at this point because it's like yeah, it's true. I think you, the window you... closes and then it's like you know yeah. open again later in the spring. But like you know they kind of I mean Parker we don't know what he could be like he might be fine at Iowa he might be a first round pick like we just don't know. Um, yeah, I would have liked to have had the chance the to find out. Yeah, you know? and it could be the difference between like your offensive line having like a big gaping hole at one of the spots and not. Like it really could be the difference. And if the difference is not hiring an offensive line coach quick enough, like that's going to be a, a regret, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that is a good place to put a pin in it. Um, I'm a little sad that Dave didn't just like randomly pop in. Did I don't, I wasn't watching today. I don't know if he, he like actually joined the, the call or anything, but I, I don't know. He's not actually here. Is he? Let me look. I okay, don't no. think okay, so. He's probably looking to see like where who the offensive line coach is. <laughs> I just like I just had this idea that Dave has been here like for the last half an hour and I just haven't looked at that window. He just like he's like, Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. <laughs> All right. If you are somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is. You get your programs, and if you're so inclined to give us give us a rating to review, we appreciate that. Now, if you're somebody who has found the pod but has not given us a website yet, you can check us out at CavsCorner.com. Plenty of stuff rolling out there. Uh, plenty of folks who are very frustrated with lots of things that just like you. Uh, I want to thank My Perfect Franchise for their support of the show and of the website. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net for more information on how you can find Freedom Your Next Venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. Thank everybody out there for supporting the show as well as to thank Ferber for giving graciously of his time tonight. As always, I very much appreciate all that he does for the, for the show and for the, uh, the website. So, for Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.